Welcome back to Mark's Madness, now part of Chunkaluta. Anyway, uh, welcome back to Mark's Madness. We read books. Uh, my name is David. Oh, I'm Shumani too. Wow, I'm back. Hi. Yeah. I'm not listening to the podcast for once. I'm Chris. <laughs> we're all back in action. We're, we're all back in action. So that's good. Play Get all three the of us here again. The Backstreet Boys song. I was going to say the NSYNC song, but the Backstreet Boys song. <laughs> it's the Looney Tunes. Huh? That was the Looney Tunes movie, right? I don't know. We're back in action? Looney Tunes. Oh, back with in like action? Uh, Frasier. Frasier. Oh, I don't know if I ever saw this. I just, uh, this they go into like paintings I, this, yeah, and stuff. Brendan Fraser came out in 2003. Oh, man. I don't no, know. No, just I, me. Yeah, no, that, that would have been my uh, my junior year of high school. I, I, I don't know about Looney Tunes at that time. I missed that one. Um, <laughs> but aside from me being a confused stick in the mud, um, we are going to get back to reading on Gramsci. We're on slide 79 of uh, our Gramsci reader at the top. It's going to say socialism and culture. And before we get into that, um, we always do start with current events. And there is one current event that sticks out. And it is, it is not a, a very fun current event to, to cover because it is incredibly tragic. Um, it, is, we, it was a, a so-called wildfire in western Maui, um, uh, especially in uh, Lahaina and uh, Kanapale. And um, I say so-called wildfire because let's let's face it, you know, there's there's nothing incredibly like wild implies nature or totally, you know, uncontrolled. These, these are colonial fires. Not to be too unserious about this, but th- yeah. Zuckerberg setting it on fire with the space cannon. Oh God, <laughs> buy up land. No, no, I'm kidding. But- uh, but there is there is sub to that uh, with the, well, yeah. not not the Zuckerberg part, but the the buying it up. Well, see, um, the benefits of climate change is that land becomes cheaper as it becomes mm-hmm. worse. Uh, land grabs become way easier mm-hmm. once and, you fucking burn it down. Yeah, and and Zuckerberg has already bought um, what was supposed to be sovereign land before because he's just a big rich bully. Well, I mean, America is still occupying what's supposed yeah. to be sovereign land. So that's that's true. That's when true. the time comes, yes. we will not make excuses for the terror. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the death toll is up to 106, so we're going to take at least 106 of those fucking tourists. Mm-hmm. And 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 is there still thir- 1,300 people missing? I believe. Yeah, and most of them are the indigenous people because the tourists got nice flights out. Blah 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 mm-hmm. blah blah. Well, and and a lot of them are children too because when they thought the fire was controlled, they they sent kids home from school. Is my understanding? Well, that's always um, good. I'll um, spare the children. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, I mean a terrifying. And we're not going to go through the details. Like you, you can listen to the details. I I will let you know anytime. There is a, a major disaster like this where lots of people die. There is not only horrors that people experience on the way to that death, but the survivors, you know, see and hear the people around them. And that's the most we will detail there because we do not need to go into those details. People don't need that trauma in their ears to understand how tragic and scary an event this was. Go listen to spokes like the Kai report and stuff like that. There's a lot of good people that are. You know, Hawaiians from Hawaii doing good mm-hmm. work to, you know, talk about this. And they have good mutual aid funds that I'll make sure are, there's one in the show notes. 
of this episode and from now on until you mm-hmm. know they call off relief support which i mean let's be honest we should we should be supporting them heavily towards independence yes you know and and this is a very big time for that not only did they you know lose everything but they're also about to be in a very big land battle because we were talking about this disaster and i've heard stories of the people who not just finished living through the trauma but are already getting calls from realtors and investors and people looking for land trying to take advantage of the situation and calling people while they're still sorting through the trauma and offering them to buy their land and you know damn good and well that that means that people that didn't survive they are bidding on that fucking land and they're going to want to muscle people out the second that that people you know are resisting and so it is a very important time to, to make sure you are contributing to that mutual aid because people are, are going to have to fight for themselves. And, and so, you know, we just need to make sure that, um, that we do everything that we can to stand by them. And like, you know, all this relief from the government isn't going towards the indigenous people, you know, like it is of the, it's utmost going importance. to the tourist industry. Yeah. It's of the utmost importance for like real people to take this. It's not just about communists. Like this is something that you can galvanize liberal support around very easily, especially in places heavily affected by wildfires here on the mainland. You know, it's very easy sympathy. And I know people are going through their own struggles, but a lot of times it's only us that help each other. You know, while we're struggling, we still help one another. It's the only way forward. It's the only way we're going to make it through. And, and it, you know, it is a thing to, to make sure, you know, make sure people, anyone in your life, you, you are doing everything you can to discourage them from going to Hawaii. Freaking don't go there. Yeah. Like right shit now. in people's mailboxes and shit. If yeah. Like, Hawaii. like, I mean, think I mean, about if, what you're, what they're doing when you, when they're going to Hawaii, do not go to Hawaii. If you have right a neighbor now. that goes to Hawaii and their windows are not covered in shit when they come home, you have failed. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, it doesn't have to be that drastic, but it should be. Yeah. You and know, and like, this should throw a brick through the window, honestly, like fuck them. And this should be an easy time to, to drum up empathy. Right. You know, I mean, people think about like Hurricane Katrina. People didn't go, ooh, I'm going to rush down to New Orleans. There was plenty of 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 um, I'm suddenly forgetting the name of recolonizing an urban area. Uh, gentrification gentrification thank sorry you. Uh, there was plenty of gentrification but the, the tourism at least calmed down while the disaster was happening um and i think i think people because like you know there's not continuous flooding and and you know during this cleanup i think people maybe don't have the same attitude but should be able to get like even the common liberal brain to be like yeah don't fucking go there right now i mean this is it's uh the deadliest wildfire uh, in U.S. history, and of course, like any other, you know, um, deadliest anything in U.S. history, it it tends to go uh, foisted upon colonized people. Well, right, and so at, right now, like the nation of Hawaii is seeking independence, they're making huge strides towards it. And you know, if you're about actually stressing the contradictions in the United States, I would look at Hawaii because they're doing it with or without the communist movement. We better get our hands involved. I happen to know that they're seeking out socialism for their government structure and being in contact with a lot of the inner circle of the development of their constitution and stuff like that. It's, you know, 
great privilege of mine or whatever to hear these conversations, but you know, like they need your help. You know, it's not a white savior thing to help. It's just the only place they're going to get it, you know? So serious, like it's not hard to just start a GoFundMe and then be like, Hey, you you should know a Hawaiian you're going to give it to, but seriously, (laughs) you can start a GoFundMe very easily. Well, in, in radicalizing people too, you know, this is definitely a case you need to, to point to because part of the colonial government, part of the thing is they had like what the greatest, the greatest uh, disaster warning system of all disasters. And they're supposed to be all these sites and it just didn't fucking work. It did not work. Well, right. right. I mean, like climate change has created a new ball game mm-hmm. where you can't actually respond well to these things because it's, they're greater than we ever imagine every time mm-hmm. you know it's a once in a hundred thousand year flood every fucking year now you know I, and it's just getting worse i mean that's really what capitalism is in the face of climate change right it's it's a million different dimensions of doing the titanic over and over we'll go headlong into a disaster that we created and we'll arrogantly think well we've taken care of it we've battened down the hatches i hey, don't blame nothing bad's gonna shit. happen well, I, I just mean capitalism at large. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't mean we as a white humanity. People. White people, yeah. did. no, okay. But in all seriousness, it is capitalism. You know, it's the problem with calling it an Anthropocene, uh, you know, extinction. When in reality, it's driven by capitalists. It's capitalist greed. It's over. It's fucking what's her face, uh, Roseanne's. Goddamn macadamia nut co-op, mm-hmm. you know, like Richard Wolf would be like, oh, she's practically a communist. The fucking uh, Pat Soches would probably say the same shit. But in reality, it's just capitalist co-option in a changing world, mm-hmm. you know, that's going to be the last vestiges of capitalism as communism takes sway. Yeah. You know? I mean, we, we, we talk about it, you know, the, the world's sixth, lar- uh, sixth mass extinction event and the first Anthropocene one. And it is not Anthropocene. It is the world's first economically driven mass extinction event. That's a nice way to put it. Mm-hmm. So um, let's begin reading. Let's begin <laughs> reading. Let's let's start the book. Let's talk about Graham G. I guess I, I shouldn't read first. <laughs> it's, been, it's been the longest, technically. Woo. So yeah, I'm back from Sundance now. Uh lots lots to talk about, but let's begin. Uh slide seventy-nine, page fifty-six. Don't switch up that nine and the six like David did to me. Anyway, <laughs> socialism. I may or may not have caused some behind the scenes confusion. A short time ago, an article by Enrico Leone. Leon? I don't know came to our attention, where in the nebulous and convoluted style he all too often indulges in, he repeated a few commonplaces on culture and intellectualism in relation to the proletariat. Opposing to them, practice in the historical fact that the working class is building its future with its own hands. We believe it would not be unproductive to return to this theme, one which has one one which has been aired before in Il Grido del Popolo. And wh- what does that mean? Prez. Fuck if I know. Fuck. Yeah. Okay, whatever. And El which... Grido del Popolo. 
the, something the people to tell the truth is revolutionary oh okay that does not seem that right, that's got to be some kind of media maybe a book or newspaper or something when it talks about that it was that, an uh, italian political weekly there we go uh, the cry of the people oh I don't know why <laughs> i wasn't able to translate that wow so anyway in and which in the youth's federation avangardia i think that's avant-garde uh, no, I don't know. I'm dumb. It is. Okay. Received more... Sorry, the silence after made me feel like I was really wrong. Uh, wait, wait, wait. Received a more rigidly doctrinal treatment in the polemic between Bordiga from Naples and our own Tasca. Ta- yeah? Tasha. Let, Tasha, okay. Let us recall two passages. The first comes from a German romantic, Novalis who lived from 1772 to 1801 and says the supreme problem of culture is that gaining possession of one's transcendental self of being at one and the same, the self of oneself, huh? Of being at one and the same time, the self of oneself. Is that like the essence of a person? I don't know. Whatever. So thus, it should not surprise us that there is an absence of feeling or complete understanding of others. Lacking a perfect comprehension of ourselves, we can never really hope to know others. Okay. The other which we summarize is, is from Giambattista Vico. Vico. You picked a really good passage to read. And this is like the one where I look like an idiot. You know, you all were reading the Red Deal last time. Like, <laughs> this is my turn. <laughs> um, who in the first corollary concerning the speech and poetic characters of the First Nations in the Scienza Nuova uh, gives a New political science. okay gives a political interpretation of the famous dictum. Of of Salon Salon, which Socrates sub, Socrates subsequently made his own in relation to philosophy, know thyself. Vico Vico, whatever, maintains that this is the dic- dictum Salon wished to ad- admonish the plebeians who believed themselves to be of bestial origin, and the nobility to be of divine origin to reflect on themselves and see they had the same human nature as the nobles and hence should claim to be their equals in civil law. Vico the, then points to this consciousness of human equality between plebeians and nobles as the basis of historical reason for the rise of the democratic republics of antiquity. We have not chosen these two fragments entirely at random. In them, we believe the writers touch upon, though it, adamantly in a vaguely expressed and defined manner, the limits and principles governing the correct comprehension of the concept of culture, even in relation to socialism. We need to free ourselves from the habit of seeing culture as encyclopedic knowledge and men as mere receptacles to be stuffed full of empirical data and a mass of unconnected raw facts, which have have to be filed in the brain as the columns of a dictionary, enabling their owner to respond to the various stimuli from the outside world. This form of culture really is harmful, particularly for the proletariat. 
It serves only to create maladjusted people, people who believe they are superior to the rest of humanity because they have memorized certain number of facts and dates who rattle them off at every opportunity, so turning them almost into a barrier between themselves and others. It serves to create the kind of weak and colorless intellectualisms that Romain Rolland has flayed so mercilessly, which has given birth to mass of pretentious babblers who have a more damaging effect on social life than tuberculosis or syphilis germs have on the beauty and physical health of the body. Holy roasted. Get, get, get wrecked. Um, <laughs> uh, rewind a bit. One thing I did forget to cover, Shukmani, too, while you were gone, is we talked about um, Gramsci's belief in the education system, right? Um, which was very, it, it was much more like how he was classically trained he believed in so that's a little controversial now versus more like a you know if we if we had the means to to do public schools more montessori style and actually pour the resources in that we needed you know that that tends to be more generally accepted as better but definitely Was it if, we showed, if you showed him a montessori school he would like die immediately <laughs> what's a montessori school uh, they're these overpriced private schools that do a good, like, it's almost like structureless learning. It's not like it's not better education versus like a lot of the, the, the school voucher things that does, uh, whatchamacallum schools that really are crappy and they just fluff their numbers. These Montessori schools are like genuinely good, but they're also like really expensive schools for young children that rich people get to go to. Yeah. Uh, so it looks like crazy. Montessori I just and them. you have Waldorf and then you have like mm-hmm. Roman, Romaine whatever who yeah coincidentally the roman school of teaching pedagogy is different theories on how to teach the roman school of teaching was actually invented by mussolini um, oh that's solid <laughs> but but well, what kind of roman schooling school, do we have here uh we just kind of have more traditional but like montessori waldorf mussolini school they're all kind of more kids do well do better at learning if they're kind of in an unstructured structured learning environment so like if a kid's bad at math you teach them math in a way that they're better at learning basically just sitting them down in front of a textbook and forcing them to memorize right if there's uh, 30 people that learn differently you don't teach them all the same way is the idea yeah yeah, and and again, that's that scientifically is good. It's just like right now, it's only accessible by by super rich people. Uh, yeah, Gramsci we talked about didn't like like the super the more standardized testing way and the the problems with that, but also you know or the the Mussolini I got a quote learning, but he also didn't like the Montessori, and that's what's controversial. So we covered that. Go ahead. If you spend your entire time judging a fish by its ability to climb a tree you'll believe the fish is stupid. <laughs> I think that's Albert Einstein or some shit. <laughs> that's a good one. Though. Yeah, I, look, yeah. I I can't explain it in as many words as you, but I get it. <laughs> yeah, so sorry. Usually we would do a recap like that more for the audience. The audience heard the last episode. They, look, I'm a stand right now. <laughs> we just wanted to make sure since we're well, talking I'm coming this. into Gramsci halfway through. Uh, yeah. I missed a good portion. Half cocked and full speed. Let's go. I think we were on like page 30 when I was here. <laughs> so I'm like, what the <laughs> fuck happened? We go like four pages an episode. What happened? So I realize I'm back, the problem. <laughs> to get back to Gramsci saying that technocrats are, are worse than syphilis. Oh, yeah, yeah. I should finish <laughs> off this. 
Um, I just want to say one thing before you get back. Stuart Hall wrote a whole thing called Political Commitment where he expands on that whole syphilis little sentence, essentially. And he essentially writes a whole thing saying that um, the whole movement towards technocrats and bureaucracy and this whole, he calls it scientism, this whole obsession with numbers and saying like, well, well, the polls say that people support this, so we need to go with the polls or this number shows that this, these many people die a year. So we need to ban whatever um, is well, anti-democratic. That might, be, that might be good. <laughs> like We should probably do something about heart disease and stuff. You know? <laughs> we should let people smoke and drink as much as they want. Um, America, baby. Yeah. But you get, you get my point anyway. Um, the whole obsession with numbers within science and the bureaucracy, it becomes very quickly anti-democratic um, because it, it's, it's like used the- to distance people from the the centers of power that actually make the decisions it's like a like a mathematical well like a physical representation of economism it almost seems yeah yeah Yeah. exactly which i mean like these are just old conversations but i'm guess uh, it happens everywhere (laughs) you're muted dave I was going to say, people I think have been more, at least even in the mainstream, have been more privy to these kind of conversations and, and, and how worthless technocrats are after 2016 and obsessions with polling yeah. and, and things like 2020. that. Yeah. I mean, Jesus Christ. Fucking 40% of people believe ivermectin will cure COVID. It doesn't make Yeah. Any, I mean, so. no evidence. It doesn't mean shit. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I think that. Folklore that, dominating social thought almost. That, that is a weird folklore later on. So that is a weird yeah. now that now that we say that that is a weird overly literal case of technocrats are worse than syphilis. Just COVID. <laughs> oh, that's true. Holy shit! <laughs> so, um, where were we? The young student who knows a little Latin history. Oh, uh, who knows a little Latin and history. <laughs> The young lawyer who has been successful in wringing a scrap of paper called a degree out of the laziness and lackadaisical attitude of his professors, they end up seeing themselves as different from from and superior to even the best skilled workman who fulfills a precise and indispensable task in life and is a hundred times more valuable in his activity than they are in theirs. But this is not culture, but pedantry, not intelligence, but intellect. And it is absolutely right to react against it. Just fucking described academia in a nutshell. <laughs> fucking flame. So good. So I love I love how every goddamn good socialist philosopher is like, I'm gonna fuck these guys up. Just all the time. Culture is something quite different. It is organization, discipline of one's inner self, a common a coming to terms with one's own personality. It is the attainment of a higher awareness with the aid of which one succeeds in understanding one's own historical value, one's own function in life, one's own rights and obligations. 
But none of this can come about through spontaneous evolution, through a series of actions and reactions, which are independent of one's own will. As is the case in the animal and the vegetable kingdoms, where every unit is selected and specifies its own organs unconsciously through a fatalistic law of things. Above all, man is mind, i.e., he is a product of history, not nature. Otherwise, how could one explain the fact, given that there are that there have always been exploiters and exploited, creators of wealth and its selfish consumers, that socialism has not yet come to being? The fact is that only by degrees, one stage at a time, has humanity acquired consciousness of its own value and won for itself the right to throw off the patterns of organization imposed on it by minorities at a previous period in history. And this consciousness was formed not under the brutal goad of physiological necessity, but as a result of intelligent reflection, at first by just a few people and later by a whole class on which certain condition, conditions exist and how best to convert the facts of vassalage into the signals of rebellion and social reconstruction. This means that every revolution has been preceded by an intense labor of criticism, by the diffusion of culture and the spread of ideas amongst masses of men who are at first resistant and think only of solving their own immediate economic and political problems for themselves, who have no ties of solidarity with others in the same condition. The latest example, the closest to us, and hence the least foreign to our own time, is that of the French Revolution. The preceding cultural period, called the Enlightenment, which has been so misrepresented by the facile, facile crit critics of theoretical reason was not in any way, or at least was not entirely, a flutter of superficial encyclopedic intellectuals discoursing on anything and everything with equal imperturbability. Imper <laughs> you got Believing me believing themselves to be men of their time only if they had read the Encyclopedia of D'Alembert and Diderot. In short, it was not solely a phenomenon of pedan pedantic and arid intellectualism, the like of which we have not we see before our eyes today, exhibited most fully in the popular universities of the lowest order. <laughs> Ay vey. The enlightenment, the enlightenment was a magnificent revolution in itself, and as De Sanctis accurately noted, notes in his History of Italian Literature, it gave all Europe a bourgeois spiritual international in the form of a unified consciousness, one which was sensitive to all the woes and misfortunes of the common people, and which was the best possible preparation for the bloody revolt that followed in France. In Italy, France, and Germany, the same topics, the same institutions, and the same principles were being discussed. Each new comedy by Voltaire, each new pamphlet moved like a spark along the lines that were already sketched between state and state, between region and region, and found some the same supporters 
and the same opponents everywhere and every time. The bayonets of Napoleon's armies found their road already smoothed by an invisible army of books and pamphlets that had swarmed swarmed out of Paris from the first of the first half of the 18th century and had prepared both men and institutions for the necessary renewal. Later, after the French events had welded a unified consciousness, a demonstration in Paris was enough to provoke similar disturbances in Milan, Vienna, and the smaller centers. All this seems natural and spontaneous to superficial observers. Yet it would be incomprehensible if we were not aware of the cultural factors that helped to create a state of mental preparedness for those explosions in the name of what was seen as a common cause. Before I finish this, does, does did his whole thing about the difference between the Enlightenment and like the spread of academia to popular universities, uh, meaning like what we see today as like public public universities make sense like the organic versus the replication of what once was organic or kind of like yeah i don't know how to put it in words the way i'd say it is like fucking in, in our culture we're taught everybody has a role to play and like we develop like clan systems based on class struggle it's very interesting um, but, like, you can see, like, class struggle periods after, like, the fall of Cheokia and, like, the Aztecs. I'm just, like, look at them doing doing the same thing, finally. <laughs> Even yeah. him calling, uh, you know, the First Nations. You know, <laughs> it was like, hi, Gramsci. <laughs> Well, for this, he he was he was talking about how um, like public universities and and what yeah public universities that we would call them as we would call them today popular universities as they called them then that is not the same as the Enlightenment period. He's essentially saying that anyone can get a get a degree today, and that doesn't make anyone a scholar. Um, back then, the Enlightenment was tied to a shift in the political economy that is not the same today. Popular universities are not going to contribute in the same way to the decline of capitalism that the Enlightenment did. Right, because they sort of have become part of the superstructure and part of the state, right? Yeah, yeah. Because like, Grant is like, you got to see it all. And... Yeah, the, the ones who were theorizing capitalism and, and bourgeois class domination were the ones in the Enlightenment. The ones who are th- going to be theorizing socialism and proletarian domination are not the ones in the popular universities, essentially. The facts. Okay. The same phenomenon is being repeated today in the case of socialism. It was through a critique of capitalist civilization that the unified consciousness of the proletariat was or is still being formed, and a critique implies culture, not simply a spontaneous and naturalistic evolution. A critique implies precisely the self-consciousness that Novalis considered to be the purpose of culture, consciousness of a self which is opposed to others, which is differentiated 
and once having set itself a goal, can judge facts and events other than other than in themselves or for themselves, but also in so far as they tend to drive history forward or backward. To know oneself means to be oneself, to be master of oneself, to distinguish oneself, to free oneself from a state of chaos, to exist as an element of order, but of one one's own order and one's own discipline in striving for an ideal. And we cannot be successful in this unless we also know others, their history, the successive efforts they have made to be what they are, to create the civilization they have created, and which we seek to replace with our own. In other words, we must form some idea of nature and its laws in order to come to know the laws governing the mind. We must learn all this without losing sight of the ultimate aim, to know oneself better through others and to know others better through oneself. If it is true that universal history is a chain made up of the efforts man has exerted to free himself from privilege, prejudice, and idolatry, then it is hard to understand why the proletariat, which seeks to add another link to that chain, should not know how, why, and by whom it has been preceded, or what advantage it might derive from this knowledge. Signed Alpha Gamma, Il Grido del Popolo, 29th of January, 1916. So that shit's flame, not gonna lie. Um, I would say it's a very intellectual explanation of like, like if I was trying to like be like, hey, Marxist, what's what's all, all our relations mean? What's the sacred hoop? It's that, to know oneself better through others and to know others through oneself, you know, and I guess the only thing is we kind of expand it beyond the human, you know, and understand our relation to the water affects everything else. So like, you know, there's a little bit of obsession over mastery of nature within European Marxists. And I guess I'm kind of wondering where Gramsci's environmental policies are. (laughs) Though I feel like he had greater concerns at the time, such as Mussolini. So, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, 1916's early enough, though. I'm not sure he was writing too much about like deforestation. <laughs> right. I'd be curious, <laughs> so. you know, like, because it, it really, you know, like Kropotkin was kind of touching on that stuff, but like, you never see a lot of the early theorists that are famous going into the ecological aspect besides a slight reference before going. Well, yeah, I fuck nature though. Too was that Gramsci, especially the parts of Italy he was concerned about, and also just Italy in general, was so underdeveloped, especially compared to like France and Germany right. and Britain. You know, it didn't really matter. <laughs> yeah, he never pictured doing. development in Sicily to be what it is now with like all the yeah. Fun. Oil like, so shit going on in Sardinia, where he was from. There's still like four times as many sheep as people there. Oh my god! Um, it's still very underdeveloped in Sardinia. Uh, Damn. So, 
But that's a lot of sheep. Yeah. It's <laughs> a whole lot of lamb. <laughs> Just mass it? amounts of sheep. How come nobody talks about Italy as a lamb capital? Everybody's all like New Zealand, New Zealand. Fucking I think there's more sheep in Sardinia than New Zealand. That is that's crazy. Holy cow. Really? Why does nobody talk about that? There's almost five million sheep in Sardinia. How many are in New Zealand? Sheep that is a New Zealand. Population of sheep in New Zealand. 25, 25 million. Fucking million liar. Sheep. Jesus. Yeah. Holy fuck, that's a lot of sheep. <laughs> How many are in Navajo Nation? There are 12,000 sheep farms in Sardinia. What the fuck? I really appreciate that Gramsci has brought us together to look up who has the most sheep. <laughs> How many sheep? These are important. Oh, it's only like 8,000. Okay. That's not a lot. Sad. Got to bump up those numbers. Those are rookie numbers. Got to pump them up. (laughs) How do you feed sheep in the desert? Anyway, whatever. (laughs) How much sheep makes a yard? You got to reroute the Colorado River and then grow a bunch of alfalfa. You know what's fucked up? I learned in Saudi Arabia, it's illegal to grow alfalfa, but we let them do it here. Huh. Like all, pretty much like all American alfalfa farms are pretty much owned by Saudi Arabia. Really, and they grow their alfalfa here <laughs> because it's illegal there. The fucking Saudis, man! Like what the absolute fuck? Any I, anytime anyone says like the Saudis did X, like it's never anything good. Never, I've never heard it be good once. Yeah, no, they're they're. <laughs> They're a linchpin of reaction in capital, which is making the whole whole uh, uh, island fluff up and escalation against Iran. We we did not get into it because of current events, but there'll be more Iran escalation soon because fucking America and and Saudi Arabia is always always good with that shit. Just this fucking royal family just rolling around doing whatever the fuck they want. You know what? I I, I googled have the Saudis done every anything good? <laughs> the U.S. State <laughs> Department. Saudi Arabia supported UN-led peace efforts. Oh, God. Fuck off. No, they didn't. No, they have didn't. They, they did not they done, do that, actually. Have they done anything good? Yeah, they genocided Lemon. Thank, Yemen, like, fucking no, thanks. No, they they supported peace efforts for them oh. genociding Yemen. Yeah, yeah. Like, peace efforts oh. to end their own genocide. Oh, why don't you just they, stop? They that, bought a man. whole bunch of soccer players. I guess that's good. What? Oh, God, excuse me. Oh yeah, they're soccer teams. They're 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 buying they big contracts. Like three hundred million per soccer player to get like. Okay, no, but when you say they're buying people, you got to remember that they're running an immigrant slave trade. So yeah, I, that's I, true. I, I thought so you meant like they so actually like, bought their team. The, I mean, it sounds like I'm making light of it, but I'm of the opinion that like. Sports contracts are borderline human trafficking. Mm, that's not wrong. That's <laughs> like, not wrong. Once, especially like when you're looking at like how right. soccer clubs take child, like literal children, and put them in schools to teach them how to fucking play soccer, and then just pick which ones they like the most. Like, come on. 
Next up is Schools of Labor. Yes, and I'm going to start reading before we just <laughs> dig into the depths of the internet. Oh, um, wait, wait, wait. Oh, go ahead. So when I moved here, they started putting like Saudi movies in Netflix. And there was a woman in this Netflix movie. So I guess that's good. And she oh. drove a car. She oh. drove a car. They could drive the cars in the movies <laughs> to match their campaign of, of the driving laws. That I love that the robot movie. woman can drive a car, but human women can't in Saudi Arabia. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Anyway. Uh, schools of Labor. Returning to his professorial chair at the Sorbonne after the War of 1870, Gaston Paris. Is that a name? Gaston Paris? That might be the most French fucking name I've ever heard in my life. Gaston. Smoke from here. That you could spell, yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, I swear to God, did like J.K. Rowling name this man? Because like, shit. If she did, the last name would be Crepe. Oh, that's true. That's true. Gaston Eiffel Tower. Uh, Gaston Paris, with that liberty of spirit characteristic of sovereign minds, wove a magnificent eulogy of German universities, which had molded the character. A, and the energy of the new Germany. And he proposed to his pupils and colleagues as an example of how to achieve the transformation of France, the model of its abhorred rival. After more than 40 years, it has taken a new and terrible war to direct attention back to the school and to the education system as a whole and make people realize that an enormous disproportion exists in our country between the mass of those who study the liberal arts and those who study the art of production of labor. This should, by the way, sound reflective um, with the modern day with the whole like, Oh, you're going to get your, your degree in, in liberal arts and work at a Starbucks type shit. It's like, yeah, you know, it's just reinforcing. And it should have been obvious from the beginning. You know, I also just want to note real quick that Gaston Eiffel tower wrote this eulogy for this is how we need to make France stronger four years after Bismarck unified Germany. Oh, so, nice. So nice. This, this was literally like, we have a strong centralized Germany now. Like what the fuck we need to counter that somehow. Nice. Nice. So was this just like, like right before the Paris or right after the fall of Paris commune, maybe no, this, that, that was in, Oh, it's 1878. Yeah, this is 1870. Germany was unified in oh, the, 1866. The, I thought the commune was 1870. I thought 1848 was the, the revolution before that. I thought 1848 was the European Spring. So I think this is I think this is around the Paris commune. I'd have to double commune check. was 1871. I was wrong. Okay, so this yeah, is right. Prez is wrong. <laughs> Good job, Prez. Stick to Gramsci, Prez. <laughs> um, <laughs> many many people are ashamed even to quote the figures, to set out the statistics. The state, with that blindness characteristic of the backwards Latin bourgeoisie who hate everything new, has turned its attention exclusively to the creation in the middle categories of the petty bourgeois uh, of a legion of lawyers, doctors, and white-collar workers with a leaving certificate from the liceo or the technical school. It has done nothing to give the proletariat, the enormous mass of citizens who form the backbone and the vital force of the nation, the chance to improve themselves, raise themselves up, acquire that professional culture from which spring the forces of 
inanimate industry, commerce, and agriculture. So basically, as always, there's no such thing as a middle class, but there's a quote unquote middle class. There's a management class. And whenever something goes out to the working class, it seems to all go to them. Uh, the school of labor has been sacrificed to the school of the service prof professions and occupations. The bureaucracy has murdered production. The minister, Cassati, who 50 years ago drafted the legislation on Italian education with wide criteria that could have borne fruit, did not find successors able to adapt the law to new circumstances. Although, it dispos although its dispositions lent themselves to such an adaptation. The technical school also became a factory for white-collar workers, even though Cassati, who had planned it, had seen its aim as to give young people who intend to dedicate themselves to specific careers in public service, industry, and commerce, and in the conduct of agricultural affairs, the appropriate, general, and specific education. Cassati was concerned that lessons should be imparted with respect to their practical results and particularly to the applications that can be made of them and the natural economic conditions of the state. So basically, you know, we should only invest on this if there's a return on investment, not public good. Um, but the you got to make a profit. No, that's, that's just straight up. So I was telling my my grandpa, grandpa, it's my fucking grandma's boyfriend, Mark. I was telling him like about the wood fundraiser. He's like, how are you going to make any money off that? I was like, what? People are dying. <laughs> I'm not trying to make any money off of that. What do you mean? And welcome to the American healthcare industry. Um, anyway, uh, but the production of new wealth derived no benefit at all from these dispositions. The spheres of administration and distribution expanded enormously at the expense of all the rest. Now, after the lessons of the war, people are realizing that it is not enough to know how to administer and distribute, but that one needs especially to produce. A country's potential comes from the wealth it produces and the way it produces, not from the tittle-tattle of its lawyers and clever inventions of its geniuses. The, the genius is too bizarre a product too much beyond the control of any will for plans to be based on him. Assiduous work, small-scale competence, the spread of professional culture, these alone can become indices of well-being, diplomas of historical merit. Italy lacks schools of labor. The little that has been done due to chance, to the blind impulse of a necessity which throws up alongside solid organisms, useless, unhealthy, harmful ones as well. In Italy, Labor, despite the essays school children are given to write, is not held in civil or social esteem. A chief technician is considered inferior to a lawyer, a mechanic inferior to a professor. The state makes 50 million lire available for high schools and only 2.5 million for professional schools. Every high school costs the state about 1,000 lire a year, according to former education minister Rava. And yet, while for every 30 vice magistrates jobs, there are 300 applicants and 15 who are suitably qualified. Our workshops are forced to import technical personnel. Commerce falls into the hands of foreigners and money in the form of savings leaves the country. Instead of increasing the nation's wealth and spreading well-being and jobs in our territory, it serves only to worsen the exchange rate, 
stimulate base egoism and atrocious jingoistic enthusiasms. So what I'm hearing is Gramsci is anti-immigrant. <laughs> <laughs> that line did sound a little weird. No, uh, for sure. I get what he's saying though. Like, it's yeah, like, it's a bad thing. It's just like the material reality. Yeah, I mean, there, there's a difference between xenophobia and not liking being exploited. You know, I mean, we've talked about this, right? There's there's reactionary nationalism and uh, there's liberatory nationalism. And, and we can't be liberal and flat and like, well, they kind of sound the same because that that just doesn't make any fucking sense. I mean, it sounds familiar, though, right? Like we we the the U.S. has experienced the ramifications of. I want to say, I wanted to say NATO, but NAFTA and just globalization yeah. in general. And like as much as the rest of the world has suffered under the U.S. led globalization and neoliberalism, like Americans have been fucked over by globalization, too. Look, and nobody not- knows how bad globalization is the Native Americans. Yeah. <laughs> colonization is the original globalization (laughs) actually really the silk road is the original globalization that's colonization (laughs) it's the first starts in asia the fur trades are our first starts it's the same thing I mean, there was a fur trade that sprung up around the Silk Road, too. Very fascinating stuff. There's a friend of mine doing, uh, like, a sort of capital on the fur trade. It's fucking awesome. Oh, well. (laughs) Yeah, I'm like, you should read Beaverland. (laughs) Beaverland is this book about how beavers made America, basically. Which is, like, kind of not being accurate. But I get what you're saying. (laughs) Yeah. Brother Beaver did teach us how to do that stuff. (laughs) <laughs> that's our story too <laughs> anyway anyway uh it is the proletariat which must demand which must impose the school of labor everything which serves to intensify to improve production is of particular interest to socialism and the proletariat we must be in agreement on a plan whereby our industries and italian commerce employ italian skilled labor and where this should be equal in value and competence to the best skilled labor of other countries no exclusions for the purposes of economic war, no protectionism even for the proletariat, but honest competition of abilities, honest for greater exploitation of the products of mind, so that everyone is given all the means necessary for their own inner improvement, for the valorization of their own good qualities. The proletariat must constrain the state to cut out the national organism, many universities, separating sores, which produce prattlers and misfits. God damn as well as many lysi and genasi, uh, which cost a fortune and give neither culture nor dignity. It must replace these old producers of administration and capable of ministering with schools of, of labor out with the swarm of a new generation of producers who will give the country fewer sonnets and novels and more machines and factory chimneys. Unsigned Avanti, 18 July, 1916. Um, those last two paragraphs were a little different direction than I would expect based on the lead up. Um, and I get it. You do have to build your base and build your economy and, and empower the, the industrialization and workers. And that's where, you know, we really have to put into context the situation because a lot of those specific sentences, as much as there's many ringers that it's like, Oh, that nails it. We've talked about not picking up the Sardinian and placing him in our modern times and, and expecting, you know, 
everything to, to be exactly the same. There's some thoughts there that when put forth for our current conditions, just don't make sense and, and feed into reaction. Um, and so I think we need to, to context that and, and leave that wrapped around Gramsci. Yes. I'm, I'm not smart enough to offer anything more. I'm sorry. You're plenty smart. See, this is well the, said. the intellectual <laughs> intellectualism. Um, no, yeah. Um, well, what it does get me thinking about is, so I really want to reform this, you know, practical praxis. Um, <laughs> but uh, I want to reform the survival school that was open, mm. Porcupine. Uh, and um, I don't know, it, it's getting me thinking of like, how much are they wasting on the schools out there? You know, for like shitty school, like they tell, like there's teachers like telling my cousin Eon to kill himself and shit. It's like Jesus Christ, Fucking Christ. Like there needs to be an alternative, and so that's what, like where my mind's going with a lot of this is what are like the practical applications to my material conditions now. But um, you know, understanding where he's writing this and when it's you know he's like the war, and I'm like, ooh, little does he know. <laughs> you just waited, Tonyo. There's a sequel. You won't like it. It's kind of all one big war, though. If you think about it, like in a super Marxist way, it's like it's all a reaction of capital I, against the changing world order. You know? I I agree, but I think that's where we get into, you know, Gramsci talking about like all the inner workings and mechanisms and how they kind of collide to make a class it's not a uniform block where you you do have to even in the marxist sense really split into two wars because you don't have the second world war without the rise of communism essentially ending the first world war because that was the big domino that kicked it all off was the russian revolution even if it took another year for the rest to resolve um and and really the second world war was against communism and for that to happen germany had to essentially be built up from the other western powers after they had knocked it down they had to consciously decide well this is better than communism let's make it bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger until fascism was you know a cancerous tumor that was even threatening them i'm not so sure about that analysis actually okay um Fight, fight, fight. fight. I'm, I'm not ready to dig in my heels and slug people for it. Will you die um, on this hill? <laughs> I will not, thank you. I will roll the fuck down this hill and listen to people. Cabrez, <laughs> correct. Um, I'm, not, I, yeah, I'm not saying, like, I before even hearing what Prez says, that, like, Prez is right and I'm wrong. I'm just saying, like, I'm open-minded. I ain't dying on no hill. What do we got? I feel like I'm going to get a whole bunch of angry comments, so don't at me, but I'm less satisfied by... (laughs) I'm less satisfied by the third international analyses of fascism than Trotsky's analyses of fascism. Honestly, though? Honestly. Um, no, like I mean, I'm serious. Like, I, I think it's trash. Uh, like, I think there's not enough um, understanding of like a third world position. I think a lot of that comes out of like later reaction and what. Like, you have like Dmitriev just reaffirming that position, and then that's the go-to Pat Soch regurgitation. But like, 
when you start like applying that definition to the actual conditions of the United States, it's like there's you're there's no distinction really in yeah. freaking uh like once you take Trotsky's definitions, like at least he's acknowledging it, you know, yeah. you know, instead of like obfuscating, like the very obvious fact that fascism's kind of been around longer than we like to admit, you know? Yeah. And, and like the, and we like the quote unquote tankies, we even have this criticism of the third international that it was way too rigid. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but Trotsky's and then dogmatism. Pol- and That's then right. we have Polonsis and his very good analysis of fascism, fascism and dictatorship. Oh, if you're interested in that, you should go read the book. I need to read Polonsis. You, everyone should read Polonsis. Um, I only read that it, one about conspiracies that you sent forever ago. <laughs> um, but they're much more flexible and they're much more interested in uh, their ideological origin specifically in the relationship between the contradictions uh between you know the promises of you know parliamentary bourgeois democracy of you know there's freedom in the markets all of that bullshit that we hear all the time even today and then you know the anti-democratic nature of monopoly capital which automatically comes from capitalism and how disenfranchised people come from just existing under a monopoly capital state, which we see today. Um, And then when there's not a coherent left offering an alternative, but there's a coherent right offering fascism or whatever the fuck is being offered today, I'm still not, sure whether or not I want to call it fascism personally uh, that's in the US but um, like well, there's a very like the strong for, for, for shorthand what we'll, we'll, we'll say like like explicit white supremacy for shorthand maybe yeah yeah like the, a very strong explicit well defined we have an alternative to the current system that you're mad at turns out that it's actually just going to make the system worse and dig in monopoly capital, but we're not going to tell you that part. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, it's the whole right wing pop quote unquote populist. uh, We have a solution to the problem. Yeah. The the makers and takers and those billionaires over there are real bad. Don't pay attention to the, the Koch brother guys type. But that is happening right now. And it's only gaining popularity. Like it's, it's only growing. And well, Trump that, no, is very much involved. That's like, what I'm saying. He was already president of the United yeah, States. Yeah, that, that's what we're saying. We're just saying, like, is that fascism proper? My my question is, I don't I don't think I disagree with any of that. I don't think you should get a lot of hate for for you know favoring Trotsky's definition of fascism, even if there's some, even if some of Trotsky's later <laughs> actions, you know, understandably and, and dumb shit. You and cry over crunch that. Yeah. Chef's <laughs> 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 Yeah, I mean, they, let's remember that Trotsky, in addition to being a counter-revolutionary later on, because that's what presented itself to him, was for the most part a revolutionary, you know. And and uh, but what I'm wondering is is I was I was talking about the the world war still definitely need to be split because the second one doesn't happen without 
Germany's buildup. And so I'm wondering where that analysis like counters that. Because that's all I was. I was just countering Shimani too with them being one war. Because they're really, well, you know, that's what I mean. One of the big splits between mm-hmm. Trotsky and Stalin is actually the analysis over how to handle fascism. Mm. Okay. Whether or not it's one big war, or whether or not it's uh, it's its own well, thing right. that so has like, to be dealt with. The uh, internal revolution or whatever is about not stopping and about. to stamp out fascism from you know every corner, but mm-hmm. I don't think Stalin was necessarily wrong with the socialism one state that you could do that in one area and preserve your gains or whatever. So that's yeah. like yeah, I th- I think there's a strategical a, difference. I, I think you yeah. could say that there's a practicality to 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 Stalin's um, thinking that proved itself out over time. But that there's a, a, a more an esoteric correctness to, to Trotsky's over it, where you did see like fascism spring back up as soon as the, the, the socialism, you know, fell and you couldn't really do the whole new Soviet man and, and permanently stamp out fascism. That, that was always going to be late in there or at least late in there for much longer than we expected, especially with, you know, especially as long as forces outside that country still existed to influence that group or a group right. of people. I mean, like Trotsky literally wrote permanent revolution. So it, it was, it's literally a difference of like Trotsky going, all right, mm-hmm. we won. Let's keep moving. Mm-hmm. <laughs> let's, let's go into Germany and keep it going. And then, or Stalin going, let's, let's maybe uh, make sure our gains stay. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and again, so. from a, from a philosophical perspective and the way history has proved out, I can see where the case is that like Trotsky was hundred percent right out there, but then you put it into practical terms because these are humans doing human revolution and it's probably much better for the world that Stalin went out. Yeah. I mean the, you the know. permanent revolution theory is bullshit. Don't get me yeah. wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it, it depends on like how you conceptualize it, you know, whether it's the long term or like just keep marching, keep marching, don't end it. You know, like you you can't you're gonna have a, what's at some point attrition? you're gonna yeah you're yeah. you're gonna exhaust people you're you're gonna have attrition you're gonna you're gonna lose people you're gonna have people to newly radicalize who've only known that fight you know um, and and at some point you're 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 going to lose people from attrition and then you're when you turn back what you know where's what you've built right. Where have you empowered it? Like there's there's a lot of things that we can look back and and not really even know the answer to, but know what the world's given us and and that there's some amount of correctness to it. Right. Um, we've seen uh, the centralization and obviously we've seen the propaganda about the famine that came along and the mainstream liberal. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I got to tell you all this story. Okay. <laughs> We're just chilling outside the hotel, smoking a ciggy. My dog's going bathroom. And this dude, you know, he comes out of nowhere. He's, my friend's wearing, you know, big old fucking ham sick on there on the backs, like Mal, uh, Angles, Lennon. Nice, Mark. nice. Oh, good shirt. Good shirt. Yeah, good shirt. And he's like, Are you are you a fan of history? <laughs> oh my <laughs> god. You gotta be. <laughs> that was my buddy's response. You gotta be. <laughs> the guy's like, so what do you think about, you know, all those people who died? Like, what do you think about all those people who are still dying under capitalism? And like, just kept doing shit like that. And then finally, he's like, what about 
you know, the Ukraine, my friend's from Romania. It's like, I'm from Romania. It's just like the Ukraine, dude. <laughs> <laughs> and so then, like, uh, he was like, oh, that's interesting. And uh, then finally, fucking, um, he was like, what about, uh, you know, how they were treated in the 30s? And, like, my friend starts going, there's a lot of propaganda around that. And I was like, yeah, yeah the first people to report on it was the Nazis. The second <laughs> was William Randolph Hearst. Yeah. Uh, not the yeah, most like... reputable people. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the, pe- and the people that carried the torch in it between Hearst and, and, and Robert Conquest were the Ukrainian nationalists that fled to Canada, too. Right, so, yeah. It's I like, mean, it's just, yeah. Cool. That's solid <laughs> sources right there. Yeah. yeah. And, and then fucking, uh, he was like, well, if that's true, and it's like, it is true. Go look it up. Yeah. <laughs> that's fact, dude. Yep. Uh, but so um, then he just shut up. But I was like, are you a fan of history? Like, what a fucking nerd. Yeah. <laughs> but, but we do know the collectivization, you know, helped boom the socialist, boom the socialist economy and make it a better standard of living after the war. And then there's the case of, well, it ended all the famines, which which I personally kind of lean towards myself. But then there's a case of you had this huge famine right when collectivization starts. And this is right before you had to fight a world war. And there's always this like, would the Soviets have defeated the Nazis without collectivization? And we don't have a control for that. We don't know. They would have been less industrialized, less prepared for the war. But they also would have had like millions more people alive at the start of the war and and who knows if the famines would have ended over time if that was a slower process because you're not really saying collectivization in the first place unless you're just anti-socialist you're saying the the process of a collectivization how fast it occurred well right? they won anyway so you they know, won anyway but we don't smooth. we don't yeah but we don't have a control i, I, and I, I see stalin and trotsky the same way right like social in one country worked permanent revolution was probably not gonna <laughs> Right, I mean, literally, look, like China survived, USSR didn't, you know, like it proves the validity of the survivability, at least, of socialism mm-hmm. one state, and that's what we need. And yeah, look, at, look at the DPRK, look at Cuba. We can march know? forward instead of be on our heels constantly. We're not going to be able to march forward until there's major destabilization within Canada, the United States. So that's mm-hmm. why you should help the Ochete Shackle. Anyway, <laughs> here's the end of the episode. Uh, is there the anything the we've determined through this episode that you can take away is that three podcasters can determine <laughs> the outcome of the Trotsky Stalin debate of the last hundred years? We're correct, by the way. Yeah, we're we're one hundred percent right. My opinion uh, comes from Walter Rodney. All right, can we just like put it down for like five years? I was right? using Rodney didn't even think he thought highly of Trotsky. That was how he got introduced well, to well, socialism. So, well, see, I mean, I don't think highly of Trotsky, but I like Walter Rodney. You know, <laughs> well, I'm saying, I'm saying, even if, if Walter Rodney thought that, that's you know, even someone who thought very highly of Trotsky thought that. Well, By right, the transitive you know. property. You are a trot. Totally. So, God, <laughs> but no, like seriously, like you know, like it's a fucking pointless debate until we're a little further along. Like, sure, it's something to hash out eventually, but right now, who the true successor of Marxism-Leninism is, you know, call it scientific socialism. Let's move forward. Uh, I don't know. You <laughs> pamphlets or something, man. Look, you're either a Stalinist, a Maoist, or a Trotskyist. Choose. <laughs> <laughs> like, fuck off, dude. <laughs> what internet shit? <laughs> What's worse is it happened long before the internet. So it's like <laughs> humans. 
what is wrong with this? Yep. Yep. So in the meantime, <laughs> this has been Mark's Bandis pod. Uh, Shigmani 2, you want to take over the plugs? Oh, God. <laughs> Here's another 30 minutes on the episode, right? Okay. So um, hopefully by the time this is out, the next GoFundMe will be going. <laughs> we're 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 on the move all right so uh over sundance uh over 150 plus acres were offered to the collective uh to run the sundance grounds how we want uh build whatever the fuck we want on the ground you know own the land literally um for like 10 grand <laughs> it's like that's stupid cheap uh but with that money, you know, we're going to be able to reestablish the survival school like I want. Um, we're building the distribution center. But talking with my uncle, it's now turned into like a meeting hall for the Ochete Shakuin, um, like uh, headquarters, like to reestablish the nation. So that's cool. And we'll be feeding people out of there and uh, giving away wood out of there. Um, and so we're going to be getting the foundation laid for that. Um, I, you need to like bring out a cement truck. We already have to bring one out for my uncle Alfred's house. So we got a bunch of more of the logs there. All we have to do is now bring the roof, <laughs> just the whole roof. Uh, uh, <laughs> it's fucking, I don't know. It's crazy building a house. I didn't think it'd be this hard. Turns out it's harder. And then we're flying out an electrician. Um, hopefully paying for a cameraman to come out and like film all this for propaganda purposes, obviously, like that's a lot of land. So you know, plenty of footage. Uh, and then once we have a place out there that's already established, cause there's already like electrical stuff out there and multiple, there's already a compound there is literally what the feds call it. And they call it the swallow compound, <laughs> but uh, it's the longest standing Sundance. It's been going since like the reservations first started, um, you know, long before that, but you know, it was one of the last surviving from before the reservation system even. Um, and so it was continued by fool's crow into the reservation system. And then my uncle took it over from that. And now next, my uncle Alfred's going to take it over from my great uncle, David. Um, so like, it's super important because it's like a traditional seat of power that's still around and still very strong. And it's something like we'd like to see become stronger. So we also want to like, run a kid's kitchen and stuff next year and like feed all like it, there's like a white lady that runs the kitchen right now. She just sucks. I think we would do it better. <laughs> uh, like I, she, you know, her heart's in the right place, but like, she's just really bad at like delivering. And I don't know if it's lack of labor, poor leadership or <laughs> what, but you know, like I've stood in weddings and catered them at the same time. So like, I'm, you know, <laughs> there's, I don't have a lot of excuses for something as important as Sundance for us. Like it's like our new years and it's a time of great healing. Like we were able to put the entire Sundance on with the money we raised and do a bunch of uh, extra work along with it. And, um, you know, I just, it took us two weeks to raise 10 grand. So I figured we can raise like 25 grand, no problem. And fucking do some like, incredible shit that you know will there will be repression but this is like totally legal totally public stuff that's already happened on the res that we're just bringing back basically but like fucking 
you know, with the communism <laughs> and uh, we have a unique position at the ear of the headsman. So like, I don't know, we can do a lot very quickly. And like I said, I have friends in Hawaii doing something similar. So it's like only a matter of time. You know, this is the real movement to sublate the current affair things. You know, it's not patriotic socialism. That's for sure. Because, <laughs> you know, like I, you know, not to toot my own horn, but I built this network by myself practically over the last fucking four years. And I'm very proud of the work I've been able to accomplish. You know, uh, <laughs> it's kind of snowballed out of my control. Um, but I'm trying to grab the bull by the horns and fucking ride it out because the opportunity is fucking there, you know, and I'm very confident in saying that, um, <laughs> you know, like fuck BIA, you know, we're not your Indians anymore. That's how we see it. Um, but yeah, so, you know, hopefully that go from many links available. If not go to the Patreon and seriously support fucking, the angles tier is probably one of my more popular tiers, funny enough. <laughs> like there's like eight angles, which is like $50 a month or something like that. And I'm like, Hey, well, I never thought anybody would donate to that tier. So thank you. But you know, there's a couple different tiers. $3 and up is going to get you access to the Bureau of Caucasian affairs t-shirts. We finally found a print shop ran by some cool Maoists or maroonists, I don't know what they want to call themselves, but the cool people anyway. And, uh, you know, they can, they can do a ton. So like, um, you know, it's, everything's rolling. The website's almost ready to launch hopefully soon. Uh, that's another thing the Patreon money is going towards is hosting fees and then paying the development team, uh, for their hard work. Cause it's, you know, they've been working on it since like February. So, you know, six months of, you know, dedicating their free time you know i'm we ate into it i would like to pay them uh, you know obviously we can pay them slowly over time with patreon but the more patreon money we have the quicker we can pay them the, the fair cost of their wages and the big thing with that is we're trying to offer an alternative to etsy for indigenous and communist artists um, because there's a lot of issues with etsy um ethically speaking as well as you know um exploitation and um cultural appropriation and stuff on there and a lack of control i guess um which i guess you know as a whole like how do you verify people's indigenousness or whatever but it's like i, I don't know i'm i'm a good judge of character <laughs> but I don't, I don't know we'll figure it out but that's the whole goal the dream right um ideally not charge them anything if that's legal I don't, I don't know if that is legal to do, but like how, give them the full profits. Like, cause I figure even if it's not legal to not charge them anything, you can give them like a yearly bonus of whatever you charged them or something like and that. Just charge them a penny. Yeah. Or charge them a penny. You know, the cheap, well, that's like they do at the dispensaries here for tribal members. They only charge us a penny for a pre-roll for yeah. shopping there. And it's like, yeah, I'll shop here. Sure. For being <laughs> Indian. Yeah. That's nice. That's a good, Good, yeah. You know, good constellation for genocide. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I call it my genocide discount. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so you, it's pretty cool. Like, And then out on my res, like a lot of the dispensary owners, they'll pay the taxes. So you don't have to pay any taxes on it. It's fucking sweet. Um, 
and the, but every every grow has to stay under 500 plants or else it's technically commercial and then like businesses from out of state can come in and open up so we're like fuck you <laughs> but we already have like 40 acres of hemp that we're going to be fucking turning into like hempcrete hemp rope hemp shirts you know ideally like fucking totally decommodify the lifestyle out there and free us from the bonds of capitalism but yeah whatever as much as you can in the system you know there's a lot going on and there's already ample opportunity as well as a buffalo prairie that's going to be huge because buffalo feed a lot of people (laughs) if you didn't know uh very very delicious animal um and the biggest thing is at Sundance, you need a buffalo. Uh, many ceremonies, you need buffalo. And so white ranchers charge you anywhere. But like if you know them, like 800 bucks. Um, otherwise, from the state, it's 500 for a buffalo tag. They, they only, you know, you, there's only so many because there's only so many buffalo. You know, you can't hunt them to extinction. You know, so ideally we'd have our own Buffalo Prairie and decommodify a ceremony for people. So give Buffalo free to people doing ceremony. And then eventually once the gardens and stuff are going and we've, we have this big issue where our food collective in Toronto can't bring food over the border without certain labels. So we got to solve that issue. <laughs> but like, yeah, they confiscated like 14 cases of eggs. Or something like that. <laughs> what do you? They're eggs. You could show you the chickens they came from. You know, like fuck. You gotta look out for those egg terrorists. Yeah. What the fuck? You know. And then like all the like zucchini and shit just thrown and stuff. Jesus. It's like why? No sticker. Okay. Yeah. Fuck yeah. You. And well, then they're gonna do something because it's organic, which is really fucked up. To, to do to indigenous people because the idea behind that i think is probably that it's organic so you can't bring in invasive species and shit like that right That's because but, but like <laughs> yeah you're not going to trust the stewards of the land with something that you're going to fucking eat for dinner yeah these fucking squash beetles really came from north america right well, we're the reason they're here yeah fuck you but uh, yeah no i don't know it pisses me off but uh, you know we we're gonna build gardens up there um you know, food sovereignty. Um, the Timshila, uh, we brought some perennials. I forgot a lot of my seeds, unfortunately, um, in the rush to, I forgot my rubber mallet too. So like fucking kick it in steaks. But, uh, <laughs> you know, like uh, ideally uh, sweet grass is becoming harder to find. So I want to replant a bunch of sweet grass um, uh, stuff called mouse beans. There's a bunch of different perennials that we're going to be planting and uh, feeding the people with uh, for years to come, you know, um, like, I don't know if asparagus grows on the plains very well, but that shit grows for like 45 years. You know, <laughs> I love asparagus. So <laughs> that'd be pretty lit. I don't know. And then like, they really want me to spend summers out there organizing. So I was going to talk to everybody about, helping us build a like tiny house or some shit out there so we can spend the summers just fucking doing the work. <laughs> and I don't know. I'll let people respond to that. So if that, that's also an option, fucking probably only another $10,000. I don't know how much a tiny house costs these days. Last time I priced it out though. Comfortable one was like 10 grand. 
but yeah, I think that's like all the main plugs. Um, like I said, there'll also be a uh, plug for a mutual aid and uh, Maui. That's good too. And like I said, the Kai, I don't, I'm fucking that up. <laughs> Mahalo. <laughs> I fucked that up too, I'm sure. Uh, but like freaking, you know, like I'm trying, you know, and that's why I say go listen to those people because I'm from the Midwest. Okay, <laughs> South Dakota is fucking in the middle of nowhere. So is where I'm at in Michigan. You know, like I don't, I don't know how to say these words right. Go learn it from the people themselves. Podcasts are terrible for you. Seriously, just go outside and touch grass. It's amazing. <laughs> oh. Bands of Turtle Island at gmail.com, chunkaluther1973 at gmail.com, at chunkaluther1973, Bands of Turtle Island. Oh, no, no, that's not it anymore. What is it now? At chunkaluther1973, I guess is the only Twitter. But then yeah. at, at Mark's Madness Pod, and then Mark's Madness Pod at gmail.com. And then if to yell at Prez for liking Trotsky, it's <laughs> at Marksy Marks too. <laughs> um, if you were to dedicate like a 50 tweet thread at Marksy Marks too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that's where you direct it. Um, otherwise, you got to figure out where Prez teaches, and then I'm sure there's a public email. So <laughs> please don't do that. Stock, 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 <laughs> stock. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, is that everything? I think that's everything. Nice. All right. All right. So this has been Mark's Madness Pod, uh, now part of Chunkaluta Network. We read books. My name's David. I'm Shungmani too. I am Prez. And we will talk to you next week. Bye. Bokshaw. Bye.